This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. The people had to move. They were told by Yahweh to begin heading back the way they came. They were told to head back in the direction of the Red Sea. I mean, this is so sad. They had come this far, and now because of their lack of faith, they can't enter the promised land. To be this close to the promised land, to see the giant grapes, to see the land bountiful and beautiful as it was, and then to have to leave it all behind, to turn away because of their feckless lack of faith. And then to see so many people die trying to rebel to get back into the land. And all of this is happening because of their lack of faith in Yahweh. And now they're doomed. Doomed to wander in the desert for the next 40 years until this current adult generation, everybody 20 years older or older, till they all die off. And then their children. Their children will inherit the promise. Their children will inherit the promised land. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if you had to have that as the focus of your days, knowing that your whole goal in life is to simply die off because of your lack of faith? I wonder if there's so much regret People don't know what to do with themselves. I can't imagine being Moses and having to lead the people with that mindset for the next 40 years until they all died out. Well, in this week's story, one man decided he couldn't do it. One man decided to rebel. One man decided to reject the command of God and to try to do his own thing and to get others to join him. But to do that, again, that means he'd have to rebel. And he'd have to lead a coup to take over the leadership of Israel from Moses and Aaron. His name was Korah. 
And this week, we're going to learn a lot from his life. And we're going to learn that in the end, you have to trust God. And sometimes God is mysterious in his ways. And, and even though you failed, God is a God of hope and love. And the Bible says in Psalms 145 that God is nothing but faithful and loving in all of his actions. And we have to trust that sometimes when we don't even understand the circumstances and when they make no sense. Because to rebel against the will of God in our life, for our life, for that moment, to rebel like Korah, it doesn't end well. It ends terribly wrong. Well, this man who was going to try to lead a coup to take over Israel from Moses and Aaron, his name was Korah. And Korah was of the tribe of Levi, and he was descended from the same lineage as Moses. They were both descendants from Kohath, but by different sons, Moses through one of Kohath's sons named Amram, and Korah through one of Kohath's sons named Izhar. Well, Korah, he was a Levite. Now, as a Levite, he already had privilege, and he already had rank. He was privileged to be put in charge of carrying some of the most holy things of the temple. See, after the high priest Aaron and his sons had covered them with some specially prepared coverings, then Korah and his people would carry them and be able to use them and, and, and to transport them. I mean, this was a special rank amongst the Levites. Not all the Levites got to do this. But I think this might have gotten to his head a little bit. And I think when he looked at Aaron and his sons, I think he wondered, why not me? Why can't I have that special privilege? Why can't I be high priest? And I think coming from the lineage of Moses and then having special duties that were awfully close to that of Aaron, Korah probably felt, you know what? I'm from the line of Moses. I'm nearly high priest. You know what? I have a right to be a leader, just like Moses. And I also think Korah did not want to wander around the desert for the next 40 years. And, and because of that, you know what? I have just a right to lead as much as Moses does. And maybe Korah was a charismatic leader, you know, a natural leader of men, good public speaking skills, and he began to rally people to his cause. As they marched in the desert back, he began to rally some around them. He began to, he began to rally some men around him. Two men that joined his rebellion were sons of Reuben, called Dathan and Abiram. Now, as descendants of Reuben, they were also in a privileged position as well. See, Reuben was the oldest son of Jacob. And in many ways, that tribe still held significance and prominence to that day. And so Korah and two men named Dathan and Abiram got together. And they conspired. And they conspired to lead a religious and political coup against Moses and Aaron. The word coup is just a fancy word for basically they wanted to take over the leadership. They were going to knock Moses and Aaron off their perch, so they thought, 
Well, the first way to build a coup, right, is to build some sort of political and, and, and religious alliance around them to get people on your side. So they began to talk. I can imagine. First they talked to their neighbor, and then they talked to another neighbor, and another person, and another person, until they had finally persuaded 250 leaders from other tribes within Israel to join their rebellion. 250! And so Koran, Dathan, and so Korah, Dathan and Abiram and 250 men came one day to confront Moses and Aaron. I can imagine Korah began his complaint. Korah began his complaint by challenging Moses with this question. If we are all God's chosen people, if we as Israel are all special and set apart, why then do you exalt yourselves above us all, you and Aaron? Essentially, he's asking Moses, why do you and Aaron get to lead? Now, I can imagine Moses is standing near the tent of meeting when Korah approaches with his 250 men and with Dathan and Byram by his side. And I can imagine Korah takes his bony finger and places it right in the face of Moses. And he accuses Moses of leading the people when he has no right to do that. Korah is challenging Moses, and he's, and he's challenging Moses for the leadership of Israel. But he's not just doing that. Korah is also challenging the will of Yahweh. See, Yahweh chose Moses to lead. Remember all the way back with the story of the burning bush, right? From there, Yahweh said, you will lead Israel, and you're going to lead this great exodus. Well, Korah is essentially saying, you know what? Maybe Yahweh was wrong. Maybe I would be a far better leader is what Korah was thinking. Plus, I think Korah's thinking, I don't like the will of God. Who wants to wander for 40 years and die? I do not like what God has willed, and therefore, you know what? I'm going to rebel. But notice that attitude, that secret rebellion against God. He hides it all under the guise of wanting, you know, what's best for the people. Plus, hey, I have people from the tribe of Reuben, a famous tribe within our country, and I have 250 tribal leaders who all agree with me. That is what Korah is thinking, and that, on the face of it, might have been pretty persuasive. Well, when Moses heard this, when Moses was confronted by Korah, his immediate response was to fall face down to the ground, to bow in fear. See, he's afraid for what is about to happen. Because Moses had seen before what happens when people challenge the decisions of Yahweh, when they openly rebel against the will of the Lord. And so in fear, Moses bows down, conveying his great fear for Korah and the people he's with. Moses then gets up, dusts himself off, and then he offers Korah and the people watching 
he offers them a challenge. Everyone there, from Korah to Dathan and Abiram to the 250 tribal leaders, they should all go get their fire pans. Put fire in them, and whichever fire pan Yahweh chooses, that is the man God has chosen to lead over Israel. Now it's interesting. A fire pan looks like a flat piece of metal with a handle. And it was used to move coals from one fire to another fire and then to another fire. And these fire pans were made out of brass or a thin metal. But they could also have been made out of clay as well. But these, the ones in this story, they're made out of a metal. Well, everyone was to take their fire pans and have burning coals on them. And then they would all come back to the tent of meeting with their fire pans. And then they were then to wait to see which one Yahweh chose. The man that Yahweh chose would then become the leader of Israel. I imagine Korah was excited. He maybe thought that God was going to choose him because obviously Moses had failed in his leadership. I mean, he had promised the people a land flowing with milk and honey, and clearly he had failed to get the people to the promised land. Well, this whole event was going to happen the next day, and in the meantime, Moses, he calls for Korah and wants to talk with him. Well, Korah shows up, and there Moses begins to speak. And he points out to Korah that He's already in a privileged position that he and his people are already set apart to a special service to the Lord. Why does he want more? Why is he pursuing Aaron's job? Why is he after Moses' leadership? It seems that Korah did not just complain against Moses, but he's also complaining against Aaron at the same time. Again, why did Aaron get special priestly duties? Why not him and his people? This discussion, I can imagine, goes back and forth while Moses finally ends with a warning to Korah. He tells Korah, by doing this, by complaining, by not believing and trusting in the will of the Lord, you and your people have conspired against Yahweh. And this, Moses says to him, is a dangerous place you've put yourself in. Well, Korah doesn't really care, and he walks away. Well, then Moses calls for Dathan and Abiram to come talk to him. You know, the two men from the tribe of Reuben? But these men, they're even more arrogant than Korah, for they refuse to even come talk to Moses. Instead, they sent a message complaining about the leadership of Moses and Aaron and how they had no desire to come talk to Moses. Nope, nope. Instead, they sent a note, and, and on it it said, We will not come. Is it not enough that you brought us up from a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Do you also have to appoint yourself as ruler over us? Furthermore, you didn't bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey or give us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes of the men? We will not come. Number 16, 12 through 14. They were blaming Moses for all the trouble of not getting into the promised land. You know, they never mention it was the lack of faith of the people that stopped them entering the promised land, you know, and that never came up. No, they blamed it clearly on Moses. 
It was all Moses' fault. They, they, they also could have stayed in bountiful Egypt. That land, which was not flowing with milk and honey, but they remembered flowing with milk and honey. And you know what, Moses? You could have just left us there, but now we're stuck in this desert. And, and who got us here? Of course, Moses. Moses. Moses, and by extension, his brother Aaron. Well, they didn't even show up. They just sent Moses this rude note. Well, in response to this rude behavior, Moses says, enough is enough. And the humblest man on earth, the humblest man, in fact, in all the earth, asks Yahweh to please disregard these men's offerings tomorrow because what they accused Moses of simply was not true. See, in the ancient Near East, Moses points out to Yahweh, I could have commanded and asked for a donkey. Because it was common practice for leaders back then to demand gifts such as prized animals from their followers. You know, sort of like the president today rides in a fancy black limo protected by various secret servicemen. Well, Moses could have asked for the finest ride of his day, which in his day was a donkey. But Moses did not ask for those things, and he points this out to Yahweh. I could have lorded it over them, but I didn't. I didn't do what they accused me of. What Korah and Dathan and Abiram were saying about Moses and Aaron, Moses says to God, is simply not true. Well, the next day, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and those 250 tribal leaders, they all show up to the entrance to they all show up at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Each one had fire in their fire pan, you know, their coals burning away, holding them in front of them, or maybe putting them down on the ground. And as they stood there, I think these men all felt quite smug. I mean, there were 250 of them to two, right? 253 of all them against the two of Moses and Aaron. <laughs> I think they were smug because it was obvious who was going to win this one. Well, as they stood there facing Moses and Aaron, all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord descends and appears to all those outside the tent. Now, I wonder what that looked like. You know, I imagine it was a glowing cap. It was a glowing cloud, shining brilliantly like the sun. And then God speaks to Moses and Aaron from the cloud. God says, separate yourselves from this community so I may consume them instantly. Number 16, verse 21. Man, God was angry at these men and their arrogant rebellion, and he wanted to kill them all right there and then. But in response, Moses and Aaron, they fall to their faces. And Moses cries out and pleads for the people. Again, the humblest man on earth, he doesn't want to see these people die who all hate Moses, but he doesn't want to see them die. Instead, he cries out for their lives and he says, God, God who gives breath to all, when one man sins, will you venture wrath on the whole community? Number 16, verse 22. He asked that God's wrath not be turned on all of these people. 
about the sound of the voice of the Lord. I think the men standing there, they must have fled back to their tents, back to where they felt safe. Because eventually Yahweh speaks again to Moses. And he tells Moses to go tell everyone to move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So Moses goes and tells everyone to move away from their tents because the the Lord is about to perform a miracle. Moses says to all the people, he says, This is how you will know that the Lord sent me to do all these things and that it was not of my own will. If these men die naturally, as all people would, and suffer the fate of all, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something unprecedented, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them along with all that belongs to them, so that they go down alive into Sheol, then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. Number 16, 28 through 30. Moses says, if this happens, you will know. If a miracle occurs, you will know that these men have despised the Lord. And just as Moses stops speaking, there begins a rumbling like an earthquake and then a huge cracking sound and then a large crevice begins to form in the ground right in front of the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. The ground quakes and then that crack all of a sudden splits open like a large mouth and it opens up right under the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and the Bible says that that large opening just swallows the men and their families right up. The Bible says the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households. All chorus people and all their possessions, they went down alive in the shield with all that belonged to them. The earth closed over them and they vanished from the assembly. Numbers 16, 32 through 33. In an instant, after all this rumbling and earthquake, their tents are gone. The people are gone. These men and their families, they disappeared just like that. And then the Bible says, a fire A fire goes out from the Lord and consumes these two other, and consumes these other 250 men, burnt them in an instant. You know, I can imagine what was left was this empty space where Korah, Dathan, and Abiram's tents used to be, and then fire burning all around, tents in flames, and people sadly in flames, and the burnt corpses of these 250 rebellious men who foolishly followed Korah in this rebellion, they're burnt to a crisp. What a frightening sight. Well, God then tells Moses and Aaron to gather all the fire pans left by these men and to hammer them and to hammer them into metal strips and then 
and then put them on the altar as a plating and as a visual reminder. This plating that's going to be on the altar is going to be a visual reminder of this event, of the rebellion of Korah. And it's going to remind the people of what happens when you rebel against the Lord. And the Bible says it's also to and the and, and the Bible says it's also to remind the people that no unauthorized person outside the lineage of Aaron should approach to offer incense before the Lord and become like Korah and his followers. Number 16 verse 40. So they gather up the fire pans and they begin to hammer them with big hammers. They take that metal and that brass and they hammer them into long strips and they begin to hammer away and, and to put them on the altar to remind the people that Moses is our leader, vindicated through this miracle. And don't mess with the lineage of Aaron. God has spoken well, you would think. After seeing all that, you would think that the people of Israel would submit and obey the Lord, you know, when they saw that metal plating on the altar that they would understand and submit to the leadership of Yahweh. But sadly, that's not the case. Because the Bible says the next day, the next day, the entire, listen to what I said, the entire Israelite community comes out to complain against Moses and Aaron. Again, you would think that after seeing all that had happened to the people that had complained before them, that they would not do this, but this is how foolish and arrogant this generation of Israelites were. You know, I think they were still reeling from the guilt and shame of having failed to get into the promised land, and it was easier to, 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 to blame Moses and, and Aaron than to admit their own fault. And the entire Israelite community rebelled this time. Not just Korah, and those 250 men, and Dathan and Abiram. No, the entire Israelite community. Well, the presence of Yahweh shows up again in a cloud of glory at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Again, Yahweh tells Moses that he is willing to wipe all the people out and restart with Moses. And again, Moses pleads for his people, pleads for their life. Well, after pleading, Moses tells Aaron, well, after pleading, Moses then tells Aaron to take some fire off the altar and another fire pan and to run to the middle of where the people are assembled and to offer atonement for them because Moses knows that what is about to happen is not going to be good. So Aaron does just that, and he runs to the altar. He adds coals of fire to his fire pan and then runs to the middle of the people to offer atonement, to plead for their lives. But as he is running to offer atonement, he sees, he sees something horrific. A plague has already begun among the people. 
As Aaron made it to the middle of the assembly, he saw the effects of this plague, people dropping dead, probably screaming in agony as the plague hit them. The people were suffering and dying all around him. So Aaron puts down his fire pan and then he adds holy incense to the burning coals. He adds it to the fire and as the incense hits the fire and it turns in the smoke and then as the smoke begins to go up, Aaron stands up and he sees the plague all around him as he's holding his fire pan. But he also saw over there a group of people that the plague had not hit yet. And so he moves towards those people and he begins to separate those people from those stricken with the plague. And the Bible says that there were those with the plague dying and then there were those that were still alive. And Aaron stood between these two groups, between the dead and the living. And he's offering atonement for the ones still alive. And as that smoke, that incense, that altar, that smell, that offer of atonement goes up towards God, the Bible says the plague stops. It's halted. Aaron was able to stop the plague. Because of his act of atonement, Yahweh stopped the plague. But sadly, before it was stopped by Aaron offering atonement, the plague had killed 14,700 people. So in all, on that day, 253 men and the families of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram had been killed. And now 14,700 were dead on top of all that. What a tragedy, and none of this had to happen. If these men and their families had simply obeyed, put their faith in the will of Yahweh, and trusted that Yahweh was correct in picking Moses, if they had simply had the faith to follow, trust, and obey, but they didn't, So many people died needlessly. Well, the whole camp was in an uproar. And and one problem that was still there was whether Moses and Aaron were God's chosen leaders. Well, God had vindicated the leadership of Moses by swallowing up Korah and the rebels. But was Aaron the correct high priest? Was he the man to lead in the worship at the tabernacle? Well, Yahweh had one more miracle to perform. Yahweh told Moses to get one staff from each of the leaders of each tribe of Israel. Now remember, there are 12 tribes that make up the nation of Israel. So Moses collected 12 staffs, basically fancy walking sticks that the leaders of each tribe used. And each of the leaders wrote their names on their walking stick and handed it to Moses. One of those tribes was the tribe of Levi. And on that staff... Aaron wrote his name. Then God told Moses to put all 12 of those walking sticks in front of the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle and then to come back the next day. And whoever's stick had sprouted, that man was the one chosen by God. What an odd miracle, you know? But I bet it looked cool. Well, Moses took these wooden staffs with the names of each leader written on them and placed them in front of the ark. Moses then returned the next day and then he went into the tabernacle. 
And when he went in, he saw something amazing. Aaron's rod had sprouted and begun to bear leaves and had produced almonds. I mean, that's amazing. His staff had not just sprouted. It had produced fruit in the form of a nut, an almond. That was amazing. And guess what? That was proof that Aaron was the chosen high priest and that his lineage, his sons, would serve in that role while Moses brought the walking sticks back out and presented them to the people. Each leader took their staff back and each leader clearly saw that they had no reason to complain and that Yahweh had chosen Aaron because his staff had budded and the rest had not. Well, God then asks Moses to put this staff, Aaron's budding staff, to put it back in front of the testimony, in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And again, this was going to be a visual sign like those hammered out metal fire pans. This was going to be a visual sign that Aaron and his offspring were the chosen priesthood. Man, it would have been a beautiful reminder, a budding walking stick with almonds on it, you know? It would have been a beautiful reminder of the choice and the will of God. Well, in response to this, you know what the people did? They became afraid. and They would not come near the tabernacle. Instead, they told Moses, look, we're perishing. We're lost. We're all lost. Anyone who comes near the Lord's tabernacle will die. We will all perish. Number 17, verses 12 through 13. We will all perish. And that's how Numbers 17 ends. What a way to end this whole incident. With the people angry, scared, rebellious, and I think talking in such a way that showed they missed the point of the whole encounter. They missed the point of this whole thing. I think God was not feared. God was not feared. What a way to end this whole incident. with The people angry, scared, rebellious, and talking in such a way that they showed they missed the whole point of this whole encounter. God was not to be feared, to be afraid of like this. No, God was to be trusted. The Bible says to trust the Lord in all his ways, right? The Bible says in Psalms 145 that God is good in everything he does. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, verse 6, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Proverbs 3, verse 5 as well, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. Verse 7 says, Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to your body, and marrow to your bones. Don't be wise. Fear the Lord. Trust him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. Don't lean on your own understanding like Korah and Dathan and Abiram. No, trust the Lord. Obey him. Submit to his will. God says, if you will do that, 
He'll lead you. He'll lead you. Do you trust God to do that? That's what it means to walk by Thank you for listening to Bald Head Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Bald Head Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week. Thank you.